my name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Walking with a limp like, will I ever run? Once again, or is this it? Am I forever done? Living in the hospital was never fun. Some people were cool, but not everyone. Welcome, everybody. It's time for another Hollywood Godfather podcast. And I guarantee this one is going to blow you away. We're going a different way on our subject matter, which has always been crime and who's been involved in it, not involved in it, who's been accused of it, and who people who now we're finding out have been falsely convicted of it. And with that saying, I want to introduce my co-host, Pat Piccarelli, my partner in crime, author, and he will take it from here. Pat. Okay, good evening or good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, tonight's show, as Johnny said, departs from the norm. Uh, but we're doing this because uh, we have uh, quite a story to tell, a story that deserves to be told, and a story that needs to be gotten out to the general public. To that end, uh, we have a guest. His name is John Nail. He's an attorney. But before we get to him, uh, we'd like to introduce uh, Jeannie Raymond, who is our third host. Uh, if you if you don't know the name Jeannie Raymond, you have to read The Sixth Family because she appears in the book. Jeannie, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Now we're okay. happy to have you now, back. Uh, pardon me? I said, we're happy to have her back. We are, definitely. Okay. Uh, without further delay, uh, let me introduce you to John Nail. He's an attorney. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Okay. What we, what the audience would like to know first is, who are you? Give, give us some of your professional background before we get into the case. Okay, uh, I'm John Nail, and I'm a Maine attorney. I've been an attorney in Maine now for 45 years. Uh, there was a time in my practice where I was uh, specialized in pro bono homicide defense cases. I did that for about 10 years. Uh, the last uh, 20 years, I've been specializing as an elder law attorney here in my hometown of Waterville, Maine. And then uh, I come back into contact with this case uh, just because it has been ongoing for 35 years and I've been following it for 35, for those 35 years. And uh, the man is innocent. The man is hey, innocent. That's where just, I am. For, just for our audience who's never seen a uh, rerun of Law and Order, pro bono means you're working for free. Yes. And you're working for free because you believe in this case. But before we, we get into it, uh, uh, we understand that uh, uh, part of your career involved uh, working with famed attorney F. Lee Bailey. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, I was involved in this case about uh, 10 years ago with uh, Lee Bailey when he was living in Maine. He and I were serving on the Maine Prison uh, Industries Program. Uh, that's the uh, that's the program in prisons that uh, help uh, inmates learn skills, and then when they are uh, released, they uh, can hopefully get a job. He and I worked on that, and then he and I worked on this case uh, about ten years ago, uh, and when DNA testing was first done, but the results were inconclusive. So his appeal at that time for a new trial was denied. 
Hey, give us give us the elements of the case. Well, let's see. The elements of the case are uh, well. Okay, the elements of the case are that uh, Mr. Deshane, uh, who uh, at the time was just a young farmer, married, living in the Bodenham area with his wife on their farm. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, he he was a stoner. He liked to get high. And uh, on that day, uh, after he had finished his farm chores, he had left his wife, who did not know where he was going. He told his wife that he was going to go and look for places to fish. And in Maine, that's not unusual, country roads with places to, to, to fish. Uh, he went out and did that. When he did that, he parked his truck in that area. And then at some point in time, somebody must have raided his truck and then took the possessions from his truck. And some of, them, some of them, one of them was a notebook with his name on it. Another item was a repair bill with his name on it. And uh, a scarf that was used in the strangulation of the young girl rope that was used to tie her hands and a bandana that was used to put in her mouth at some point they took those items how far somebody from did. somebody did how far from where dennis the chain was did the crime take place well let's see the young the young girl was abducted from the home that she was babysitting at which was about three and a half miles from the place where her body was found and then, and then his truck was found in that general area later. Uh, and when I say the truck was found in that area later, I mean that at, that at about eight o'clock that evening on July 6th, when Dennis left the wood, wooded area, which is a wooded area here in Maine of maybe four or 500 acres. We're not talking about just somebody's backyard. We're talking about a heavily, densely wooded area. He parked his vehicle. At about eight o'clock when he came out of the woods and was looking for his vehicle, he, he was, was approached by a husband and wife who were driving on the road and asked him if they could help him. And he says, yes, I'm looking for my vehicle. And they says, well, okay, get in here and we'll help you look for your vehicle. And then during that period of time when they're helping him look for his vehicle, the police who are then looking out for the girl who had been taken from the home that afternoon and him in the same area looking for his vehicle, they had him in their control in custody since about eight o'clock that night to up till about four o'clock in the morning. But the girl had not been found yet. How old was this girl? 12 years old. Oh, 12 years old. They released him. He went home that night. He didn't think anything of it. He knew that they were looking for a girl, but he didn't think he had anything to do with it. Two days later, when they found the girl and they said, hey, we got the paperwork that was found in the yard. Your truck was found in the area where she was found. Uh, we believe you did it. You're, one question. you're arrested at that time. They arrested him. John, let me ask you one question. Right. I, I like asking questions as my audience would be listening and they don't have the privilege as I do because I have a microphone. They don't. The you said that he 
when something that they said they're looking for the girl and he didn't know why him well he yeah. wasn't making that connection between the girl being missing yeah because he had nothing to do with it i just want our audience to know that i didn't yeah, want to right. think there's a light a link where he was trying to evade it he was just being innocent he wouldn't know where the girl is to begin with exactly okay exactly and and he and when, and when he was when he was approached by mr and mrs buttrick uh, uh, they they testified that hey he he didn't look abnormal he wasn't uh, trying to hide anything he didn't uh, run away from us he didn't have any blood on him he didn't have any dirt on him that he had would have engaged in something like uh, an abduction a murder a kidnapping a rape a torture that's what they're accusing him of wow and and, and look this is this is the way. The buttrick saw him that night. Oh wow! How old is he? Supposedly, he's in this photo. He's thirty years old. He's sixty-five years old now. Wow! Supposedly, supposedly, looking like this, he committed the abduction, the the transporting of the girl five hundred feet into the woods, the wrestling with her on the forest floor, the rape the torture, the murder, the strangulation, and then the burial of her with his bare hands. And they're saying that, hey, you did that, and, and uh, even though you look like that. Well, maybe, maybe they thought he had a shower in the in the, in the uh, he was in, from From the buttrix's car, he went into the sheriff's car, and then he was in uh, law enforcement custody until 4 o'clock that morning. Wow. Okay, uh, John. They released him with his truck. Uh, and then after he was arrested, they didn't ha have to ask him for anything. He says, look, take my truck. Take my clothing. Take the pictures of me. Take, take, my, take my blood. No, no. I'll okay, take the DNA testing. I have a couple of questions here. One, uh, so I have it straight. Whoever committed this crime also stole his truck in addition to no, no, they just took the items from the truck. Okay. How far that was they framed them. Somebody framed how, them. How far from that truck to the crime scene? Uh well, I, I don't know that answer for sure, but but the testimony is that she was buried five hundred feet deep in the woods. Okay. Okay, in the area of where his his truck was, and in the and in the area of where he was seen by the Buttricks later that night, walking out of the woods on an entirely different road. How far was the, where the girl was abducted from where the truck was? Three and a half miles. Three and a half miles. Okay. Uh, you obviously, I mean, he he apparently exhausted. Uh, Dennis apparently exhausted all his appeals. Correct. He exhausted all of his appeals not only once but probably about five times. Okay. Thirty-five years in one way or another, he has he has consistently said he was innocent. He has consistently asked for DNA testing. He's consistently offered to pay for it although we do not have any more money at this time to move forward. We don't. Okay. Why did 
did the prosecution acquiesce to that request for DNA? Did they say, okay, we'll, we'll take a DNA test? They, they never, they never okayed any DNA testing. He asked for it at the outset back in 1988 when DNA was new science. No yeah. doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's how they won their argument for denial of the DNA testing. They argued to the judge, look, DNA analysis is too new. We don't know if it's that reliable. And look, if we send it out to a lab in California, the only lab who does it, judge, it's going to delay the case by three months, and we don't want to do that. What about now? Okay, so then, after the trial, after he was denied DNA testing 35 years ago, which, by the way, if it was done 35 years ago, just like the DNA results show today, he would be exonerated. He would be exonerated. The new DNA test results today, no, he's excluded. He's excluded. Whenever they could find enough DNA on the DNA, on the, on the items that we had tested, the very few that were left, that the state didn't destroy, that we had to beg the state not to destroy, now finally tested 35 years later, we're seeing that when they could get enough, they clear him. And not only now, not only with the new DNA testing, the new DNA testing now tells us that the blood that the young girl had when she was unburied, the blood that was found under all 10 of her fingernails, which at the time of trial was the state told the jury was her blood. We now know it's not her blood. We now know that with the way the scarf was tied up around the neck and the way her hands were found here, he had to have been sitting on her chest and he had to have been tying the, the, the scarf around her neck from the front because she had, she had a mist uh, uh, strangulation circula, uh, circulation up here, not up here. That didn't strangle us, so we had to do it again. This time it caught her throat. This time, because the scarf was so short, what was left, he had to have his hands down here. Strangulation does not happen quickly like a bullet. Strangulation takes three, four, five minutes of constant, constant pressure. Unrelieved pressure. While his okay. hands are there doing that, her hands are here. She does the only thing she can do. She digs them. That's what how the blood gets under all ten of her fingernails. Okay, you said that she was also sexually assaulted. What about semen? No. No, they destroyed the uh, the rape kit. The state destroyed the rape kit. Is yeah. that what they do there, or they accidentally destroyed it? What is it? Is that what they do in Maine? They, they destroyed it after a certain amount of years, or they accidentally destroyed it? No, they didn't accidentally destroy it. No, no, they didn't accidentally destroy huh. it. Now, as a matter of fact, the the seven items of crime scene evidence that we finally had tested, uh, we had to fight for. And when I say we, I mean the defense way back 35 years ago too. When I say we, I mean his entire defense team over the 35 years, and he's probably had three or four pro bono lawyers, some who are now uh, been uh, promoted to, to judges in our system. 
uh, on his side trying to defend him. Okay, so where where is the status of the of the DNA testing now? You want you want this guy uh, tested? Why hasn't he been tested? They did. Well, well, he has. He the evidence. What has the evidence? He's been trying to say something. Jeannie, jump in. What what are you trying to say? You got to jump in, girl. Uh, okay, what I was going to ask is you there. I just want to clarify this. They did do DNA testing on the blood under her fingernails, right? Yes, yes, that not his. Hers, correct? Not her. And not to be his DNA. That's right. We're labeling as an unknown male. Do they run that through CODIS or any of yeah. the ancestry? Yeah. Yes, yes, but not enough of it for that type of uh, uh, a comparison. Okay. Back then. The FBI requires what, like I think maybe 13 low loci uh, in order for, for that type of testing. Okay, but now the, the, the uh, DNA testing has advanced so far that they can get a, uh, a match with, with uh, uh, very little samples. What, uh, what's happening now with this DNA testing? So in order to get the most recent DNA testing, we had to prove to the court that there was new technology out there that would most likely produce different and uh, more DNA. And that new technology is the MVAC, wet vac system. That's what I was trying to get out there. Did, are his clothes, did they test his clothes? Everything. His clothes. Everything. They. We when, do have that, or you do have that to test now? Uh, well, no. Well, let's see. Uh, you're breaking up, Jeannie. Oh. Uh, I, I can't hear you. You're breaking up. What do you have his clothes to test? No. Uh, for DNA. But I mean, back then, back then, like I say, uh, they photographed his body. They went to his house and they took his bed sheets. They took his clothing. He volunteered all of this. He he volunteered the truck for them to vacuum and test. Uh, they cut his fingernails. Uh, they, he 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 did everything. He volunteered it all. And then you got to remember, all of that got turned over to the state in their own labs. And and with their own labs, it came back negative. Nothing. No, okay. no connection, no hair, no fiber, no blood, no fingerprints, no dog scent, nothing in the car, nothing on him and nothing on her, nothing. And then you have this picture. Yeah. It really kind of says it all, too. This kind of says it all, too. Yeah. What evidence was presented at trial? All of it, I guess. Okay. So, there's so nothing, there's nothing to connect him to the crime. Well, okay, so good question. Okay, very good question. Okay, so here, uh, uh, you had the uh, two items that were found in the dooryard that had his name on it from where the girl was, abduct was abducted, okay? Uh, but then when you look at his car, his, his truck and all of that, then there's no sign of her being in that truck for a, three, uh, a, a struggling 12-year-old physically fit girl being in that uh, truck for three and a half miles. No sign of it. All right. And then you go to the scene, and then what they have there was is they had him 
coming out of the woods in the general area of where it must have happened that night. They have that being in the general area and his truck being parked over K in that area too. And then as he is in the vehicle with them and they are asking him what he's up to, he's kind of not telling them that he was there doing dope. He's there saying, look, I was in here fishing. I, 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 I lost my fishing poles there that they never found. He admitted later, I was lying to you guys because I was lying about me smoking dope. They're thinking he's lying about him killing the girl. Well, why wouldn't they the at that point? Big mix know, up right he, there. He, well, he evaded the first questions and lied exactly. to them, and that's what yeah, happened. But, but still, exactly. you know, I testified in a lot of these same type cases. This is a capital case, and there's a high bar here. You know, I mean, uh, was let me ask you this, John: Was one of those appeals on the basis of uh, ineffective counsel? Oh yes, several were. Several were. Yeah, I, several were. Yeah, several were. You see, you see, all of the lack of the trace evidence was was put on by the defense beautifully. They couldn't argue with it. Didn't your own crime lab do the blood test? Didn't your own crime lab look at the trace evidence and the it was all negative? Yeah, it was all negative. Nothing, no hairs were found, none of it, none of that. But look, we're going to appeal this too. Uh, when the prosecutor in closing argument was explaining to the jury, look, we don't have hair evidence, we don't have fingerprint, we don't have the blood, we don't have any of that evidence. And the only, the best reason I can give you for that is, is because that's the way God made it. Oh. <laughs> okay, That's improper. That's improper. But it wasn't caught at the time by counsel. It wasn't caught at the time by the judge, but what that type of a statement does is it brings God into the courtroom and puts God on the prosecutor's side. Uh, now that, that's a no-no. You can't do that. You can't. Uh, all do right, before that. thirty-five years later, on the on, when you when you've been convicted, when you've been con wrongfully convicted, convicted doesn't matter. You no longer have the presumption of innocence. You've been found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Now from that prison cell, you're going to have to prove yourself innocent beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, John, before we go any further, uh, Gianni, is it time for uh, a commercial? Oh, yeah. Let's make a little money. What are we doing? Don't anybody go anywhere. We know where you live, and you know we do. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather. And this is my story. I'm happy to say Hollywood Godfather Robography is now playing on most platforms. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen to Joe Ortiz, famous rapper and Arsenic the Heat record, multi-platinum producer for Sony. Produce this record. I'm proud of it. There's 12 tracks. You got to listen to this. You never know who you're lying in a room with So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with The concrete in a bathroom floor It had a new tip stashed it behind a toilet In case I ever had to use it All right, we're back This okay, is a the, great story, John And not John, a story, just, unfortunately A disaster for one human being My God John, just to clarify here 
when is the next DNA test going to take place? No more. We don't have any more DNA to collect and we don't have any more DNA to test. What happened to all the DNA underneath the fingernails? Okay. It's not relevant, right? It's not his. Well, it's relevant. Now, see, the, the new, when you put all of the DNA together, you can say that there is uh, unknown male DNA from the blood under all 10 of her fingernails, which I say comes from this type of an activity going on at the time of the strangulation. Him tying the scarf around her twice. The first time he trapped, the first time he ties it, he wraps it around the head. She must have forced it up because then when he tied the knot that he wanted to be here, it, it got up here. Then he had to go around again. And you're, you're only dealing with a wool scarf that's about what? Maybe two feet long. Has okay. the scarf been tested? Excuse me? Has the scarf been tested? Yes. Okay. So now with the, with the unknown male blood here, we now have the same unknown male DNA on the scarf. That allows us to then say, look, the way the scarf was tied around, the length of the scarf, the final knot being down here, her hands, her hands being found like that up by her, under her chin, by her neck, showing the blood packed in the fingernails. Now, okay. now, we, can, now we can say, look, judge, if you let us reconstruct, this is what the reconstruction expert is going to say. He was straddling her. He straddled her so he could keep her hands tight to her body and still, and he straddled her so he could control her body. The scarf went around her, and by the time he finally got the strangulation knot down here, there was only about that much scarf left on each side. He had to be down there. Uh, uh, pulling that knot, and when he did, he had to be that close to her. The blood says that the blood says whoever did it that night left there with ten dig marks in their face, in their neck, in their hands, or in their arms. If whoever you can test, I left with ten dig marks. Did they take pictures other than that with his clothes off? Yes. Yep. 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 There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. He might have had a mark over here or he might have had a mark over here. But I'm not showing you all of the photos. I mean, uh, when when we say that he must have uh, he must have carried her or pulled her or, or dragged her 500 feet through a heavily wooded area, that alone is going to cause some disturbance in your physical appearance. Just that. Okay. Yeah, just his clothing it would be marked up and everything else. Dragging somebody through the woods, you're not picking and choosing where you're going. There's oh. no path. You're not pulling the branches down so they don't rub against you. No, you're just trying to get to where you're going. Okay, based on Maine law, if you were to uh, have the uh, blood under the fingernails retested and it shows that it's not uh, the, the uh, blood from your client. Is that enough? We know that. No, we know that. 
We know that it's not his. We've known that it hasn't been his for a long time. That's but, not a- but, the, but the lawyers before me couldn't quite put the pieces together to say how it might have come to be there until we have the blood, until we have the same DNA on the scarf. Then, <coughs> at least when I saw it, I said to myself, wait a minute now, this is what you got. At this point, are you petitioning for a new trial? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And w- what do you think the chances are for success of getting the trial? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, like I say, when you've been found guilty and now you're going to try to free yourself, it kind of works like this. Uh uh, you're not, you know, you don't have the presumption of innocence anymore. And now when you're you're looking for a new trial based on DNA evidence, what they're saying is, what the prosecution is saying is, <laughs> the prosecution is saying, look, Neil, all you're going to be allowed to put into evidence is the DNA test results themselves. And then, and the and if the DNA test results themselves without any other testimony, if that doesn't point to somebody else that somebody else did it, then you got nothing. Well, why wouldn't it point that someone else did it? It's none of well, his. It's not well, logical. It was somebody else. Right. It, exactly. Exactly. That's where we're going with it. We're gonna we we're gonna be able to show the source. The law says that we can present evidence that shows the source of the DNA. Now, as I explained, the source of the DNA to us isn't gonna have a name. I can't say who's the DNA, who, whose DNA it is. I can't say that, but I can say that listen, Judge, if you let us reconstruct it. I'm going to show you that the DNA is the person who has the tendigmats. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. The DNA belongs to the person who has the tendigmats. The DNA belongs to the person who would have come out of the woods. Right. So let me ask Back you. Yeah, so, but that guy may be even dead by now. Hello. Who cares? Just as long as it excludes. No, no I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Who cares? But I'm saying. So how how I'm just trying to find out is there a way is there enough evidence or no no evidence to give this guy the trial and give him the results you want it doesn't yes there is yes there is yes there is except that we have procedural hurdles one of them is this how much evidence what is the scope of the evidence to be allowed at the hearing before the judge who then will decide, Nail, did you prove uh, did, did you prove to me that if you went in front of a jury, that a jury would find your client innocent? That's, that's where we are. That's the burden that we have now, proving to a single judge that judge, look, with the case, with the evidence in the case as it is, all of the testimony that's in the case as it is, and then look, if you let us put in the new DNA evidence to, and then reconstruct how it would have happened, then the jury would agree with us, Judge. He has, you, he has to agree on the reconstruction expert part. When do you think you're going to get a ruling from the court? 
Well, that's a good question. I, th I, I think the court has had the, the, the most recent memorandums from us now for probably six weeks. Oh, Coe, so that, that's, that's, yeah, you, you could say, yeah, you I, could. I want to go back. I have a question. With all of the DNA advances, there's people, there's places like Parabon Labs and CC Moore that are always doing incredible things. I'm sorry. You, you, you got it. We, we, we've done all of that. The most recent testing we had done by uh, cybergenetics. Have you heard of cybergenetics? That one I haven't. But there's, are you saying there's not enough? Um, there's, are they finding a profile for, for the partial? partial. Yeah, partial. Yeah, partial. And, and with enough. all the. With all the technology, technology now and has been so far advanced from the original, they can't trace that DNA to anyone. Or something called f f familial DNA. That's how they got the Golden State Killer. Right. Uh, they they could find somebody that's uh, associated a with relative. that DNA that's a member of his family and start to backtrack. They're solving all kinds of cases like this. But you have to have a full, but you have to have a full DNA profile in order to put it into uh, what uh, ancestry.com, in order to put it into 23andMe, all of those public sites that does that ancestry stuff. We tried that. You need to have a full profile in order to to be able to get into that system and make those types of comparisons. How long ago did you do the DNA? testing well uh let's see i think we started sending it to the labs maybe uh a, about a year ago everything moves real slow everything moves real slow we started i got back involved in this case three years ago what things you said you tested okay, seven yeah. things is that right yes seven the seven of evidence what were they okay. okay so <laughs> So one of the pieces of evidence, uh, well, let's see. Okay, so uh, the DNA that came from uh, the from the blood that was left would be the same DNA that would have been under all ten of her fingers because it was testified that she had blood under all ten of her fingers. So there, and the blood under all ten of her fingers, uh, fingernails is an unknown male DNA. And then we had the scarf. Let me, uh, let me just get, get a list of it here so I have it all in front of me. Nice tie. <laughs> Can you see it? <laughs> all right, there we got it, excuse me. Yeah, uh, let's see. We had a, we had a vaginal stick that he could be included but look you got where did you get that from that's interesting i'm very well, private area <laughs> sexually assaulted uh with uh with uh sticks inserted in her vagina and in her anus oh whoever committed this crime was a serious serial sick and they have no other crimes in that time period that Compared to the same that this little this girl is the worst. was with. This is the worst crime. No, but any, nothing, nothing close to it. No, nothing like this. I know. Are there any other suspects? Yes, there were. 
Yes, sir. I'll get back to you, Jeannie. I'll get back to your question. Well, no, I was. that was what I was going to ask you a while ago. Is there any other people that they had suspected of this? And were, was their DNA tested? Uh, well, yes, some was. But at the time, the suspect that they really believed did it, they didn't have the DNA test results at the time that would have connected him exclusively, conclusively. Was that someone Dennis knew? <laughs> no. Was is this suspect still alive? Yes, and they and, and they and and they believe prior defense counsel believes that they had his DNA, had it tested, and it was and, and there was no match, so oh. he is excluded. Okay. Is that for sure? Is that for sure? You said he believes it was done or it, it in fact was done. Because Pat and I can follow him around and get a cigarette. I've heard about it being done. Okay, so that's what they did. This man's defense team sent a private detective down to Florida where the suspect was, believed they got a coffee cup off the table that he was at. So a lot of it is assumption. They that's why I they said, know. yeah. That's why I said they believed. Yeah, that, that's not good. <laughs> right. I just listened to a podcast yesterday where they were after somebody. I don't recall. I listened to too many, but a, a deputy followed a guy and they knew it was the guy. They were sure of it. He threw a cigarette out in the street. The guy ran out, got it. They came back and tested it. It was not their guy. And they said, I know it's him. They went back and did it again. And and it was him. So are they 100% sure they had the right DNA the first time? You said he believes, but is that something worth? Does that guy know that you were on to him at the time or that he was a suspect? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. As a matter of fact, he even submitted two affidavits to the court saying uh, from uh, from my witnesses, alibi witnesses, saying that he was with us that day. But did he submit DNA? Yeah. Did he submit that or did they? get it off a coffee cup there's a difference well yeah he could submit it from a guy sitting next to him too hello well he's i know but if, if, if no they, i'm saying if he's smart enough he's not going to give him their dna if he knows he I did it that well good. i know that but I, there's a difference between them <clears throat> picking up covertly and picking up a coffee cup off a table or him going in somewhere and giving his get doing a swab a buckle swab right, right. Did this guy have any priors, John? Nothing, nothing. This guy here was uh, born and raised in uh, northern Maine, Madawaska, uh, close to the Canadian border, mostly French-speaking. Uh, he, his, his mom and dad died when he was young. He had, a, he had brothers and sisters. He put himself through college twice. Well, you're talking about your victim. I'm talking about, about that. Yes. Talking about no, how about the other guy? No, yeah, that's talking the about other guy. Patrick Snow. Patrick's question was, does Dennis DeShane have any priors? No. I, I, was talking, I, I was talking about the other suspect. Oh, 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 no, no. No, I don't know that. I, I don't I don't know that. I don't know that. But I hope you heard everything that I said about Dennis. Yes, we did. Yes. Okay, uh, uh uh, no, let me ask you a question. Being, uh, buying devil's advocate again, why you being Dennis's defense attorney, why aren't you looking up this guy's priors? That's public knowledge. 
Okay. I think that's all been done. I think that's all been done. There are a lot of suspects. You can't chase them all down. No, no, I'm talking about this one particular one. Yeah. And you're sitting here right now telling me you think it's been done. To me, I think that would be very inadequate if you were defending me. I want to say, did you do it? Not, I think it's been done. I think it's been done. That's what I can say. The lawyers in the past, I'm sure, have checked all of this out. Like I say, he's had defense teams in the past doing this. Okay. Uh, uh, John, there's, there's, going to, there's going to be a, a part two of this interview next week, as we discussed earlier. But uh, as we close this out, uh, what can our listeners do to help in this case? Okay, thank you, Patrick. Uh, he has a uh, support team called Trial and Error. Has been behind him for the last 35 years. A lot of folks from up in his area have been supporting him, contributing. Uh, but of course, over the last 35 years, some of those people aren't still with us. What he needs is, I can be pro bono, but I cannot pay the witnesses. I cannot pay the expert witnesses. We need funds for the experts. Do you have a website? We have a website, trial and error website. If you go and to that, and that's specifically for Dennis. Exactly. Specifically for Dennis, you'll see there, there'll be a, 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 a tab there, contribute, help, support. Yeah, that's where okay. that's what we need. Okay, so that's trialandarrow.com, correct? Trialandarrow.com or Dennis DeShane, however, you'll get there either way. Dennis DeShane. Trialandera.com. Yeah. Okay, we will we will put this in the show notes. Right. Is there a GoFundMe or sorry, Pat? Is the is I Pat think this is it. On there? Well, we can't we can't do GoFundMe's uh, for this type of a project, but, but you allow you. Yeah, PayPal. Okay. You can do it by PayPal. PayPal. Yes. Yes, PayPal and other ways to pay. Yeah. Okay. That would be great. That would be great. Okay, John, we want to thank you so much for appearing. This is definitely something that, that's uh, interesting. Oh, it's a great show. Like, and we should take, you know, we, we we will take an interest in it ourselves because, you know, that's, uh, I, I just think there's a lot of, as you know, being on this case for 30-something years, a lot of, too many vague answers and too many unknowns. Right. Do you have like a Facebook site or are you on Instagram or anything like that that's a media do you have a media page? Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Gianni, I got to say, I don't know on that either, Gianni. I got to okay. say, I don't know on that. I'm just saying, more. to make it easier, I right. think for the audience just to get into this case, which I'm sure there are a lot of people that uh, our followers would get into it, and we have a lot of people who are very responsible and, and uh, financially would do it. Because I know that people will listen to us. So I, I think your team has to make an effort to create a website where any questions could be answered without talking to anyone and just to convince them further to go to the website and contribute to Dennis's cause. Right. You'll see it all on that trial and error website, all that you're talking about. You'll see a transcript of the case. You'll see videos of interviews with him. You'll see newspaper clippings from the last 35 years. Yeah, all right. Okay, there. okay great. All right. Well, time, once again, thank you very much. And uh, for our listeners, we will have part two of this interesting case next week.
Okay, have a good night. Thank you, Thank John. You. Thank you. Thank you. Good night now. We'll be right back. We got to make some more money because we need it. (laughs) We are pleased to announce the publication of a new book series from Gianni Russo and Patrick Piccarelli entitled The Sixth Family. When the alleged daughter of Marilyn Monroe asks for help, Gianni Russo becomes entangled in a web of lies and violence in the search for the late actress's diary. Soon, he is enmeshed in a mystery that involves a presidential candidate, a disgruntled Mafia Copo, a retired NYPD detective, and the past of Mafia boss Frank Costello. Russo must race against the clock to stop a hostile reorganization of the American Mafia while trying to stay one step ahead of a faceless killer. While listening to this book, skillfully read by Gianni himself, the listener will have to determine what is true and what is fiction. Or as Gianni says before this epic story begins, this book is a work of fiction, except for the parts that are true. Look out for the second installment of this exciting new series coming in 2023. The Sixth Family. Book One is available now on Amazon.com. All right, we're back for the commercials. We made a few dollars. And uh, now I love this segment of our show called the mailbag. Mailbag. <laughs> mailbag. Jeannie, would you do the pleasure of reading these questions to us, please? Absolutely. The first question is for Patrick, and it's from Larry. He says, I've read all your books and enjoyed them very much. My question is, if you could no longer make money writing, would you continue to write? Nope. Next question. No, no, no. Let me elaborate on that. (laughs) Somebody once told me the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. Well, it hit me. Very profound, I know. Unfortunately, I didn't say it. Somebody else did. But I found my niche, so to speak, when I realized that I have a talent for writing. Everybody has a talent. I mean, you just have to find it. Uh, with Gianni, his talent is basically everything. The rest of us <laughs> have to have to search for it. But anyway, I mean, I was I was older when I found out and I discovered that I can write and I can make money doing it. I mean, I didn't publish my first book until I was forty eight. I mean, oh uh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was I was threatening all those years. I mean, I never took a writing class. I never I didn't know anything about uh, 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 writing terms. I still don't. I just sit down, I tell a story, but I, I can make a living doing this because my books sell. Oh, I can, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you but, your book. What was your first book? Oh, uh, no, it's, I mean, we, we, we can spend another half hour talking about how many books and what I did. All right. The last one is. We the, only, pl- we only plug in the books that are for sale now, Jeannie. That's no, right. the last one is for sale. <laughs> the last one is always the one that counts which is uh, the sixth family. But to answer the question, no, I, I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, as much as I enjoy it and as much as I know that I'm pretty good at it, what's the point? The only thing that I would do if uh, no one was buying my stuff anymore, I would write my memoir. In fact, I still plan to do it, but that's something that I would give to my kids. I said, they don't know uh, half of what I did in my life and I would explain it all in the book. But other than that, no, I would definitely stop writing if uh, because, you know, this is a job, 
as Johnny will tell you, I mean, this is not easy. Right. Uh, it's it's blood, sweat, and tears. A lot of times, you just not a lot of times. I mean, yeah, you but know, you, you have the skill. That, that that's what makes it different. You're yeah, it's nice to have the skill, but you got to have patience. This is not a right. business instant gratification. I, mean, right. I sit in a. I, I find I find anything in life, you better have patience if it's yeah, worth but, it. Particularly <laughs> this. I mean, if if, if uh, Johnny and I we're going to have some uh, news for our audience shortly. We hope. Uh, but let's say, for the sake of argument, we uh, we finish our next book tomorrow. We hand that in. That book is not seeing the light of day for 18 months. You know, I mean, this is uh, something. And all that time, you're not getting paid for anything. You know, right. so you have to keep keep the books coming, even though uh, we right. have a way around that. But maybe that's a topic for another show. But no, I, I would I would definitely stop writing if I wasn't getting paid. Well, I'll tell you, um, I have been promoting the book, and, and I know we've so. I've, I've uh, talked to a couple of people into buying it just in the last week. So, hey. Oh, thank you. We'll keep the sales going because I you. think, I think it's great. Gianni, my daughter bought the, um, I, well, we got a book. It, it was autographed right to her. It was fabulous. And she she has a bunch of little kids and she's usually driving the truck full of kids and her husband's usually in the passenger seat. And they came driving up for my birthday and I was, the, the husband was driving and I thought, boy, that's weird. She's usually running the show. Well, then I realized the reason he got to drive his truck that day was because I had just given her the sixth family and she did not put that book down for the entire weekend and read the entire thing. She's like, mom, I wow. put it down. She absolutely loved it. That's so, great. That's something to be said because she's got four kids. One's a one-year-old baby and she she said, I fed them, and that was that. I fed the kids, and that I, I got them handled, and then I went right back to that book. She just couldn't get it read fast enough. So that's that, a, great, a great escape for her, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It was a great book. It was a how great many, book. Beanie, how many times are you a grandmother? Well, I, I have five. Five? I have two um, that are blood and three that are bonus, and they're okay. fabulous. The women, are, once the, the women of America see you, they're going to want to know what your diet is. What my diet? My yeah. diet? I didn't carry the grandkids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's called five-time grandmother. You, well, you do it well. You. anyway, let's let's move along here. Second right. question. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm reading, I'm bragging about your book. So, all right. Next question is from Jeff. Hope you are, excuse me, hope you're all doing well. You guys did a show a few years ago on Roy DeMeo. After I had asked about possibly doing one, it was great. I just wanted, or I just watched a new movie called Inside Man about the Gemini Lounge. It's on Amazon and it's about a cop, Bobby Bellucci. Yeah. Bellucci. Bellucci, yeah. who goes undercover. Apparently it's based on real events. I've never heard of this cop story in relation to the Gemini Lounge and was curious how accurate it is. I thought it was pretty good movie, all things considered. Maybe this part of Roy, oh, sorry. Maybe this part of the Roy DeMaio story, it, if really accurate, would be a good topic to cover. I think Pat would find this interesting if he doesn't know about it already. Sorry, well, I don't like hard to read. Well, again, you know, we have to tell our audience, we we read these emails directly as they're written. And sometimes we need a translator. So right. we, don't, we don't edit any of these things. And it's the first time we see them 
is the first time that they're read. Okay, that said, I mean, everybody that uh, knows anything about mob history knows about the Gemini Lounge. Uh, but this particular cop, I heard his name mentioned in the past, but that's all I know. Now that I know there's uh, a documentary on Prime, I'm going to watch it just to see it. I'm sure it's accurate, but, you know, I, Word de Mayo had a very storied career. I mean, uh, oh. those who don't know who he is, we did a show on him based on the person who wrote this email's request. He was whacking people for many years in the worst possible way. I mean, he was, everybody well, he was, was, he was a professional cleanup for everybody. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he, he cleaned up crime scenes for so many people. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he liked to saw people up. That was his thing. He oh, yeah. To, he had a way of disposing of them and be found again. Everybody was afraid of this guy, even people in the life. They, not because, they, you know, they just didn't know what would set him off. Right. Uh, I, re I did read a book by his son. But he's a psychopath. Absolutely. And what, uh, what could, you know, I, I, when people, a psychopath. No, I said, is he still alive? Uh, no, no, he, he, he no. met a similar fate. Oh. No, they took him out. They knew they had to kill him. Yeah. He was, he was, he was just a wild man. You, you have to control these people. I mean, uh, and he, he was out of control. And, he and he was bipolar. So when he got clicked, that's it. Right. Now, it's interesting. You just said his son wrote a book about him. His son wrote a book based on, not not the criminal Roy DeMeo, the family man Roy DeMeo. And he was, as, as a lot of these men are. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't know what your father's doing when he leaves. Yeah. And he, you know, he, you know, he always tell you, you know, don't bring your, your work home with you. Well, thank God he didn't. <laughs> but I mean, he just the opposite. He was a good family man. His, his uh, son said he didn't know anything about what he did until he was an adult. Didn't bring any of that home. He did the barbecues. He was friendly with the, with the neighbors. Everybody thought he was just a regular guy till his name started to be uh, uh, put in the news. And yeah. then it was out of the bag. And once that happened, he, he had to be shut down. That's interesting, you know, because I have 10 sons. I don't think one of them can write a book about me. That's how much time I spent with them. Not that I'm proud of it. Yeah. That's <laughs> my lifestyle. Is. That's why I'm my lifestyle. Is. So, I mean, I, I would like someday somebody to go to tell my sons, Write a paragraph about your dad. Something you know. <laughs> well, they can they, they can use Hollywood Godfather as a reference. How's that? Oh, now, yeah. yeah. Oh, we let the cat out of the bag there, too. Right. All right. Next. Moving on. Moving All right. On. So next, it says uh, um, for everyone, I really like your informative show. I look forward to it every week. Gianni, did you know? Las Vegas resident and Black Book member, Joey Cusimano. You know, I know Joey Cusimano. Are you kidding me? I love Joey Cusimano. Joey Cusimano was an avid tennis player. Oh, wow. You know that. Very physical, good-looking guy, uh, very well-connected. Uh, he was threatened one time and took six shots at close range and talked about it. And the guy that shot him is dead. <laughs> Joey's he, still alive. Joey's still he, alive in Vegas. What was he in says, the um, he's a retired Chicago Outfit member, but was active oh, yeah. in Las Vegas in the 70s and 80s. Also a good friend of Joey the Clown Lombardo. Yep. Why was he in the Black Book, Joey? Well, because of his association. He was in the Black Book because he was really a, a mom-associated oh. guy. Like Palacho, he, he all those guys were in the black book. He couldn't come to State Street, and I loved the guy. I used to meet him at Turnberry. 
where I kept an apartment for a while. And he's still around. He's still around. I, my last, my, I know that he's 10 years older than me, so he's going to be 91 now. Yeah, and in best shape. I mean, you wouldn't believe this guy. Yeah. He plays tennis three or four times a day. Wow. Good for him. No. That is great. Next. All right. Moving on, as you would say. Hi, my name is Al. I'm a truck driver, always listening to your podcast while I'm driving and enjoy it very much. Just wanted to say a huge respect for what you've been through in your life. Not every life is worth talking about, but yours definitely is. I used to respect Al Ruddy and his body of work. I still love what he accomplished, but depicting you in that show the way he did was very upsetting. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Now, I really appreciate that statement because I, I've been bastardized by this guy and I still don't know why. Yeah. I still don't know why. You know, Gianni, I've thought about that and I thought, well, you know, you've been, you uh, have your um, Hollywood Godfather and where you've made a name and used the Godfather with it. I wonder if it is just plain jealousy because you've, you've made such good work with it. You know what I mean? I wonder if that had something to do with it. I I think so, too. And I I appreciate your opinion and this gentleman's opinion. opinion. And I've heard it on the street. But uh, I have now settled my lawsuit against Paramount Viacom. And if you watch the offer now, any scenes or any hour I'm a part of, I won this part of it. There's a disclaimer on the screen saying Gianni Russo's part has been fictitionalized to embellish the picture. I got that and a nice Good check. For you. <laughs> Good for you, because that, I mean, why would they do that? And I just I wondered, know. I thought someone's jealous of you and what you've done. And and they... Well, I, I did it. I did it for my grandsons and all that, because my one of my grandsons called me, and that's when I picked up the phone and called my lawyer. Yeah, my grandson you don't to want me. To be talked about like that. Yeah, and my grandson to me. Such a gentleman to me, Gianni, and I, I found it. And my kids watched the show, and I was like, "Wait, wait, wait!" I've been told that that. So I'm glad you've done that because. No, I did that know. because of, as I said, I just got a, I got a call one day, and my gr- grandson said, "Poppy, my friend's mother said you really beat that lady. She saw it on television, and that was it. That was the you know last straw." And I called my lawyer, and we have a major lawsuit, fortunately. And I have to say, do uh, you want a great law firm? I've been with them a long time. Their father, Barry Schlotnick, now Stu Schlotnick. Uh, it's uh, Buckingham, Inzool, and Rooney. You want to win a case, hide him. If you, you have to have deep pockets. I was going to say. I think they I get $100,000 retainer <laughs> before they read anything. But. Yeah. Well, let me finish this because I, I don't want to cut him off. And it was a very nice comment. But it says, so now, now my question, I read Tony Curtis's autobiography, The American Prince. Is it true what he said about him being very close to Frank Sinatra? Thank you so much. And you guys keep up the great work and God bless. Thank you so much. To answer the question about Sinatra, Sinatra always thought Tony was amusing. And he was. I mean, I did Lepke with Tony Curtis. He played Louis Bookalter. I played Albert Anastasia. I mean, from that day on, we remained friends. And I've seen him all over the world. And as we all know now, he's passed. But Tony was a character and a half. I mean, he, um, 
And and he had uh, mixed emotions. And, and I found out something about Tony Curtis. I'll share this with our audience for the first time. I actually had Mario Puzo and Marlon Brando at my house in the south of France. And the, the, why they came, because they were going to launch Superman, the one Mario Puzo wrote when Marlon Brando was Superman's father. And they were all at my house. And Tony Curtis, I heard so many things about Tony. Tony was always smacking me on the ass like that. These little gestures that I, I, I think. You're handsome. What can you say? No, oh, no, you're just trying to test me. Different reason. <laughs> but the, interesting, the interesting thing when I heard all these rumors, and then Tony Curtis walks into the house, walks right over to Marlon Brando and gives him a kiss like he was kissing a woman that he hasn't seen in years. And I said, that confirms it. That's I mean, right. I mean, See, if you would have acted a little different, he might have tried that on you. No <laughs> kidding. You no. didn't go for it because when he gave <laughs> no. a little pat on the ass, he was yeah. like, oh, not going for it. I better go to the other guy. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I think we're Great at the question, last question. Though. Yeah, I think we're at the last question, Je Jeannie. Uh, that was the last one, wasn't it? Oh, that was? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Right. We're out. Another All good right. show right. from Hollywood Godfather. And everybody out there, you can see we pay attention to your questions. We want the mailbag. It gives us directions for shows and hopefully answers all your questions. We want to thank you for staying tuned. Tell your friends about it. Send in more cards. And Jeannie, pleasure having you back. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. So glad to be with you guys. It's such, I look forward to it all day long. So. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Good night, everybody. Right. Good night, Good everybody. Night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that was that. And I'll be back. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Want to ask us a question for the mailbag? We love hearing from our fans, so submit your questions online at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com or you can give us a call at 646-776-3038 and leave a message. Contact us anytime with your questions about past or future shows, your favorite celebrity or anything you'd like to know and who knows, your question may even make it on the air. Remember to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Hollywood Godfather and at Real Johnny Russo. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review with your podcast provider or your video streaming service. We'll be back next week with another exciting show and who knows who we may have on the show. If you don't want to miss out on an episode, remember to subscribe. Until next time. My life's like scenes out of a movie. I'm the Hollywood Godfather, truly. I got stories with them all. You know, celebrities, world leaders, icons. Who knows what's next for me? I'll never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back until next time. And that was that.